0: Happy New Year, Food Heals Nation. I am hoping that 2023 brings you everything you've always wanted and more. And of course, I'm wishing you very good health. I believe that the body is designed to heal itself when given the tools that it needs to do so And my job in this lifetime is to help you find out what the tools are. So I hope you enjoy this show and I would love for you to help me co-produce this show by sharing with me what do you want to hear on Food Heals? Who are some of your favorite guests? Who would you love to have on the Food Heals podcast? Who should I interview? Help me co-produce this show. You can go right now to foodhealsnation.com slash gift GIF and fill out a quick survey. And when you do that, you'll be entered to win a swag bag full of my favorite products that will help give you the tools that you need to heal yourself, to heal your body and to go into 2023 feeling like a rock star. So again, that's all over at foodhealsnation.com gift, fill out the survey and uh, subscribe to me on Spotify, send that screenshot in. And then once you do that, you'll be entered to win. I've got so many amazing great products for you you. And I've got 10 of those bags. So it's pretty likely that you might win one. So I'd love to hear what you think. Um, Next announcement before we begin is that there's still time to join the Healthy AF Total Transformation Program. We're starting Wednesday. I'm so excited. I guarantee on this program, if you follow it, that you will improve your health, you will boost your immunity and you will lose weight if you follow the program. There's no way you won't because this program works. I'm living proof and I can't wait to share it with you. So if you would like to join that, we're starting Wednesday, January 4th. Head on over to foodhealsnation.com transformation, and you can join right there, and I'll send you an email with all the details on how to get started. And if you need a payment plan, just reach out and I will send you an individual link so that you can pay each month instead of all at once. No problem, just email me at info at foodhealsnation.com you will be supported in your wellness and weight loss journey every week when we meet on Zoom calls with me and other Food Heals Nation members, and of course, experts and doctors way smarter than me to help you along this wellness journey. And the last announcement I have before we begin today's episode of Food Heals is today is the last day to save big at Organify and turn your resolutions into solutions with up to 30% off the bundles, plus 20% off everything using my coupon code FoodHeels. So head on over to organifyshopcom slash FOODHEALS. You can search for the bundles or the kits, like the Sunrise to Sunset kit, which are already marked down. Today is the last day they'll be marked down, up to 30% off, which is amazing. Plus, use my discount code Heals to save an additional 20% off today only. And stay tuned all month and I'll be keeping you apprised of all of the specials that Organifi has to offer. All right, let's get into the episode. Roll it, Roxy.
1: Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Allison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and in stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately.
0: Alright, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. Today's episode is the episode to listen to if you or a loved one is suffering from diabetes. So current medical wisdom actually advises that anyone suffering from diabetes or pre-diabetes should eat a low carb high-fat diet, but today's guests, Dr. Neil Barnard, Cyrus Kambada, and Robbie Barbaro, rely on a century of research to show that that advice is actually misguided. While that type of diet may improve short-term blood glucose control, this diet also increases the long-term risks of chronic diseases like cancer, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, chronic kidney disease, and fatty liver disease. So no, let's do it right, let's do it different. The revolutionary solution is to eat a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. This is the most powerful way to reverse insulin resistance in all types of diabetes type 1, type 1.5, type 2, pre-diabetes and gestational diabetes. So get ready to take notes. First up, Chef Leslie Derso and I are talking to Dr. Neil Barnard, who is author of Dr. Neil Barnard's Program for Reversing Diabetes, the Scientifically Proven System for Reversing Diabetes Without Drugs. In this interview, he shares why he got into preventative medicine and diabetes research and the cutting edge solutions to reversing it naturally with a plant-based diet. Then Susie and I sat down with Cyrus. Kambada, PhD, and Robbie Barbaro, MPH, authors of Mastering Diabetes, the Revolutionary Method to Reverse Insulin Resistance Permanently. And they're here to discuss their step-by-step plan that has been proven to reverse insulin resistance, which is the root cause of blood glucose variability, while also improving the overall health and maximizing life expectancy of patients. And they're here because they've been through it, they've done it, and now they want to help you do it too. Roll it, Roxy.
1: The Food
2: Heals Podcast starts now. I run a group here called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. It's based in Washington, but we've got members all over the place. And what we do is we promote what I'm going to say is preventive medicine, but that what that really means is food and especially plant based diets. We also do research studies. So people who have diabetes or high cholesterol come in. We change their diets and we record the results in major journals. And we also uh, have a clinic. It's called the Barnard Medical Center. So for people who need primary care, we provide that. But nobody leaves without us talking to them about what they eat. Because for many people, that's number one with regard to their health. And we also have a whole department that deals with alternatives to the use of animals and research. So those are all the things that we do. And, And I have to confess that every single thing that I do is exactly the opposite of kind of what I thought I was doing when I was a kid. I grew up in North Dakota. And, it, you know, it was cattle country, and that was sort of all I knew about. But now I'm encouraging people to leave the cattle away and leave them off their plate and eat asparagus instead. So
3: let's talk about how hid a rancher's son in Fargo, North Dakota. What made you want to become a doctor? What made you want to go into plant-based nutrition world?
2: Well, it was not exactly logically planned, I have to say.
3: The best <laughs> things in life are not. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it's, it's funny because nowadays what we're doing is we're doing diabetes research. And I think in the research world, that's what we're known for is that we showed that with a plant-based diet, diabetes can sometimes just be reversed and go away. And And yet what happened to me, my dad was in the cattle business. He did not like the cattle business very much, and he left it. And he then went to medical school, and he became the diabetes expert for Fargo and all of eastern North Dakota and western Minnesota.
4: Wow.
2: Yes. Uh, so he was the doctor at the Fargo Clinic, and I never once heard him say that anybody's diabetes ever got better. You know, he never got came back home and threw his bag down and said, "You know, I cured somebody of their diabetes." It like never happened, and I really thought there was nothing more dull and boring than diabetes. But for <laughs> me, no, I mean, I mean, it. it was it was like nothing was ever going to get better. It was just a losing battle. So what I was interested in, I was interested in the human mind and how, why people do what they do and, and so forth. So I went to medical school with the idea I was going to be a psychiatrist and understand humanity. And I did that. However, the year before I started medical school, I had a job at a hospital in Minneapolis and I was the autopsy assistant. And so when the person would die in the hospital, the pathologist would examine the body and show me everything. And on one particular day, we had a man who died in the hospital of a massive heart attack, probably from eating hospital food, but that's another story. So <laughs> anyway, so he, here was this dead man, person, and so he cut a big chunk of ribs off the front of the chest so he could examine the heart and he set the ribs on the table, and he, and he would give me this detailed explanation here are the coronary arteries they're called coronary arteries because they crown the heart and he sliced them open and he showed me the atherosclerotic plaque that had built up and he would say this is your bacon and eggs it causes this and it was very graphic and at the end of this particular exam though he finished up and he left the room and I had to clean everything up so I put the ribs back in the chest and I sewed up the skin uh, and I went I went up to the cafeteria. yeah beautiful isn't it um I went up to the cafeteria <laughs> and they were serving ribs for lunch that day
3: Oh, nothing makes you want to eat ribs and, oh. than just dissecting ribs,
5: right?
2: <laughs> the smell of it was just like a dead body. The look of it was just like a dead body. And I suddenly realized this is a dead body. It's not a human body, but it's a body nonetheless. And I didn't become ve- vegan on the spot, but I could not eat that. And it planted the seed in my mind. And then as time went on over the next year or so, I started to think more about it uh, both from a health standpoint and also from the animal standpoint because i grew up i drove cattle to east st louis to slaughter i shot animals uh while we were hunting and i did all this stuff and i started to just rethink all of this and when i got to medical school at the george washington university here in dc one day they had dog lab where you're supposed to experiment on dogs and kill them and i just said I, i just refused to do it i said no way i'm not going to do it and even though it was a required lab, even though it was a required lab i didn't do it and anyway the point i'm making is time went on i started to think a about the health aspects of what we're doing and the need to promote preventive medicine but i also thought that compassion whether it's for human beings or for animals or whatever compassion must be the foundation of what we do in medicine and so that means we must do our research ethically if a patient has a disease that is related to food, you can't just throw medications at them and say good luck. We've got to really deal with these things in serious, responsible ways. So I set up this group with the worst possible name, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which nobody can remember, but we've grown a lot and I think we're doing uh, some pretty good work right now.
0: Compassion as the foundation of medicine. I love that so much. So well said. That's what medicine used
2: to be you now. Even though I said, you know, I didn't want to follow in my father's footsteps. My dad made house calls. He would go out to people's houses if if they needed help. And and if you look at what's happened to medicine now, doctors put walls between themselves and their patients. I mean, our number was listed in the book. People could call. You know, nowadays they don't want to be bothered and they, they forget that if you're a doctor, it's you're in a partnership with your patient to help them as much as you can. And so with regard to food, the patient who comes in with a high cholesterol level they don't have a Lipitor deficiency that you have to make up for by giving them a prescription for a statin drug. They got that from eating Spam and Velveeta. And so you, you've got to talk with them about the cause of their disease. And the same is true with diabetes or hypertension. These are things that have their roots in food. And not only does the doctor have a responsibility to talk with the patient about food and to help them and to be a really good coach for them, but when they do... The patients are thrilled because instead of being just a funnel for throwing in medications, um, they are are an active participant in their own recovery. And that's what we see. Our patients at the Barnard Medical Center, they just really, they work with the doctors and they get healthy together.
0: And why is it that, you know, doctors are not schooled in nutrition. And if you go to medical school, you get little to no nutrition training. So how did you get your nutrition training? How did you, you know, get into this so that you could provide that education?
2: Well, at first, yeah, what you said is exactly right. You get a little bit of nutrition training, but, they'll, for example, they'll say vitamin C. It's in um, citrus fruit. And if you don't get it, you could give scurvy, um, which is a disease that you just read about in history books, that English sailors got scurvy. And, you know, you'll, you're never going to see a patient with scurvy, you know, as long as your career may be. So they, they really don't touch on what's important. For me, I started, after I had started the Physicians Committee, there was a foundation that was dealing with diabetes research, and they were tired of being asked to give out grants for rat experiments and mouse experiments. They said, we want to really get more to the core of this. And I said, well, you need to focus on nutrition. And so I started working with them on that. that. And just in the course of all these things, you just start to learn more and more of the importance of it. And then uh, in 2003, NIH gave us a grant to do what I think was a really pivotal Pivotal study where we looked at the effect of a vegan diet on type 2 diabetes. And that's when I first saw my first patient where the diabetes just flat out disappeared in a patient. And I was just stunned that that would happen because I wasn't prepared for that. You know, in medical school, that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. And what you had seen as a kid.
2: Right. Yeah. I never heard of it. Now we see it all the time.
3: Which is such an amazing thing. Thank goodness that type 2 diabetes is not a, a death sentence that it once was.
2: Oh, it it is so empowering for the patients, for the doctors, for their families to realize there are things that you can do about it. But food changes are front and center. And a lot of people get it wrong. They think, understandably, they think diabetes means there's too much sugar in my blood, which is true. So they think, well, I got this from eating sugar, or I got this from eating bread, which releases sugar into my blood. But the truth of it is that those are just symptoms of diabetes. The cause of diabetes is that the cells of the body can't take in sugar normally. Normally, your muscle cells pull the sugar out of your blood, and they use that sugar like fuels to power your movements. Your brain takes in sugar to power your thoughts. Your liver takes in sugar. But in diabetes, the sugar can't get into the cells, and that's because you had a ham sandwich for lunch with mayonnaise and Velveeta on it, or you ate fried chicken, we eat fatty foods. The fat gets into the cells and stops the cells from being able to to function very well. So they can no longer pull the sugar out of the blood. So that's our approach to diabetes is to get the fat out of the cells. And the way to do that is to get the fat out of the diet.
0: Okay, let's go into this. Thank you so much for clarifying that. So right now, there's always a new fad diet, whether, okay, we're all vegan here, so we can talk about veganism all day, but there's, like, high-carb, low-carb, keto, all of these things, high-fat. Like, can you talk about that? Like, what are the studies showing us? What is the research showing us? What is the science showing us about the diet to heal chronic disease?
2: Sure. Well, I mentioned that the NIH funded us to do a a test of what at the time – was a radically different diet approach. And to their credit, you know, NIH said, let's, let's do a head-to-head test of a vegan diet versus a conventional diet. The conventional diabetes diet was cut calories so that you lose weight and don't eat too much carbohydrate so that your, the sugar is released into the blood only kind of gradually and you can handle it. That was the current diet, and that's still used a fair amount now. And the vegan diet was no animal products, of course, we also kept oils pretty low, so, so you're not adding oils as you cook. And then um, we also favored what I call low glycemic index foods. The glycemic index was invented by David Jenkins at the University of Toronto, and it, it says uh, white bread will raise your blood sugar pretty fast, but rye bread is more gentle on your blood sugar, so choose rye. A children's breakfast cereal will is all sugary. That'll raise your blood sugar. Don't have it. Have bran cereal or have oatmeal instead. So we use the glycemic index to choose the healthiest foods, but but it's not low-carb at all. What we showed is that the improvement in blood sugar control was three times better with this diet than with the conventional diet. And so you're eating vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans and and doing well. Now, some people will say, why don't you just avoid carbohydrate? And that's the low-carb diet, or now it's called the keto diet. And I, I sometimes think about the fact here in, in Washington, D.C., where I live, we have these insects, these cicadas that go into the trees. They, they buzz and you hear them and they're there for a few weeks and then they go back in the ground and they stay in the ground for 17 years and then they come back again 17 years later. And so every 17 years they do this. And I think that while they're in the ground, they write books about low-carb diets. <laughs> because they r- roughly every 17 years... There's a new one of these. It was Atkins, right. so
3: true. And, then,
2: and then nothing happens, and people forget about it, and then it was South Beach, and then everyone kind of forgets about it, and then it's ketogenic, and then this, this is going to go away too, and it'll be something else. Here's what happens. If, you know Carbohydrate is about half of what you eat. You know, If you eat vegetables, you know, sweet potatoes, beans, noodles, rice, these things are starchy, and if the ketogenic diet says, don't eat any starch then you're going to stop eating about half of your normal diet. And if you do that, your blood sugar will fall because, and and you're going to lose weight also because you're kind of in semi-starvation. But you can only keep that up for a while. And if it leaves you with meat or eggs, which don't have any starch, then for a lot of people, their cholesterol goes up. Now, now, normally when you lose weight, no matter how you lose weight, your cholesterol should fall, and so a lot of keto dieters say, this is great, I'm losing weight, my cholesterol is good, but for many of them, their cholesterol gets really bad, and when you just look at the bottom line, do you live or do you die? The mortality on low-carb diets is substantially higher. Uh, I'm talking about long-term mortality. If you look at people who follow that kind of dietary pattern over decades, they die younger than other people. It's, it's a completely unnatural diet. And people buy into it just because it sounds like a, a faddish way to lose weight.
0: Yeah. And there's good convincing arguments for and against it. And so even people like me get super confused when I'm like, you know, doing my research. So I need to hear it from someone like you.
3: Well, I think it's a cop out <laughs> for people that don't want to eat real food, that want to continue to indulge in. Yes, it can be for sure. in In unhealthy foods, that don't want to give up their steak, that don't want to give up all of the things that they know deep down are not good for them. So they find a diet that justifies their actions. Yeah,
2: yeah. but you know, if you look at the big picture, if you look at, say, Japan, before McDonald's ever arrived in Tokyo, I'm talking about 1960, for example. The Japanese diet was rice, rice rice-based, huge amounts of rice and noodles. And if people ate meat, it was only just as a a little bit as a flavoring. The way in America, you might eat, you might have a pickle or something, you know, they, they would eat huge amounts of rice and vegetables, relatively little meat. There was very, very little diabetes, nobody was overweight, cholesterol levels were low, and there was very little cancer. Um, As soon as the meat-based diet started to displace the rice, and rice started to fall, all these problems got worse. More heart disease, more cancer, more diabetes, more weight problems. Uh, Interestingly enough, more depression, more acne, and so Western health problems started to invade. And when they were on a high- carbohydrate, healthy plant-based diet, they did so much better. But of course, the, you know, the other big thing now is paleo. It's starting to fade a little bit, but paleo is just what you said. It's, it's it's kind of a romantic notion that, you know, if I eat this way, maybe you'll put me on the cover of men's health. The, the whole idea being, you know, you're going to be, you're going to eat like a hunter gatherer. But to its credit, the paleo diet says don't eat dairy products, which is, that's a, that's a good move. Their, their whole idea was, Eat things that we started to eat after we figured out how to eat meat. So in other words, after the advent of the Stone Age, when you had arrowheads and stuff. Um, but before we learned how to plant anything. And so they want to eat just things that did not involve agriculture. But it's it's a very limited diet. It's nowhere near as healthy as a vegan diet.
3: Well while we're talking about diets, there's a there's a hot button right now floating around the internet you know if you look at all of the blue zone studies that are being done of you know the people living longest in the world and you find like the basis of most of their diets always include some sort of wheat or or rice and beans and now this whole anti-lectin movement Mm. has been going on so how do you feel it what are the what's the beans on beans doc
2: (laughs) Oh, you know, just forget this lectin stuff. It's It has really zero scientific basis. I mean, it, I, it's not even really worth talking about, I have to tell you. Um, the, you you'll get the occasional fad book about it, and, th- and that's what it is. This will die out. And the, re- the reason I say that is there have been so many studies on beans and the health effects of beans, and they're always positive. Cholesterol levels fall. They're very low glycemic index. No, the lectin thing is really not worth worrying about.
3: And they're a great, cheap, inexpensive way to get plant protein delivered yeah. to you.
2: For sure. And not just protein because, I mean, you're not going to be low on protein whether you eat beans or not. You're going to get plenty of protein on a plant-based diet. But beans have – they do have protein. They have healthy complex carbohydrates. They have um, iron. They've got calcium. They've got a little trace of omega-3. They they don't have a good lobby group, so I need to cheerlead for my friend the beans. But they're a good healthy food.
3: I know. I feel like beans need the PR person that did kale a couple years ago. (laughs) You know?
2: Yeah, you know, that's true. I don't know who that was. Nobody
3: had a better PR than kale. I mean, that came out of nowhere. That is true. That was an obscure green that my grandma used to make me eat when I was a kid that I couldn't stand. And now, I mean, it's unbelievable what happened with that. Now I it's know. as trendy so, as quinoa. I know. We need <laughs> we need that PR agent.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. You said. I don't know why that happened. And I have to tell you that in North Dakota, nobody eats kale. But when I first had it, I went, I not yet. Well, they I probably guess. eat it now. Because I went years and years ago, I had some steamed kale with some Bragg amino acids, you know, you know this stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like it's like soy sauce. So they sell it right next to the mm-hmm. stuff. Yes.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. I but love Bragg. We're very familiar.
0: It's it's literally my soy I don't use soy sauce. I only use the Bragg's liquid aminos.
2: You could put it on a brick and it would taste great. When people put green vegetables and put a little Bragg on top or a little bit of lemon juice or a little bit of seasoned vinegar, this is like- Or a dessert. little bit
3: of garlic. A little a bit of garlic.
2: Of yeah, exactly. It's like dessert. It's so great. And when I was a kid, I never ate broccoli or spinach or any of those things. And now I love them. I eat them for breakfast. It's it's such healthy food.
3: Yes.
0: yes. Eat your greens for breakfast. That's what I always say. Yeah, that's a good point. Because otherwise, people are eating bacon and eggs and act, ending up like the cadaver on your table.
2: Uh, you, you, you said it, I have to say. But happily, that is changing. And there are more and more people turning to a healthier diet.
3: What is your favorite oil to cook with? I know we're supposed to do low oils. But if we're going to do an oil, what are we going to do? I mean, I love pesto.
2: Vegetable broth. <laughs> <laughs>
3: vegetable broth well that doesn't make a very good pesto that makes soup
2: <laughs> all right now here, here's what we do let's say you have a fair amount of weight you want to lose or if you've got diabetes you want to get better let me talk just to those folks who really have a health issue they're trying to tackle for for those folks you want to have no animal products but you also want to learn the non-oil cooking techniques so what that means is if you've got some vegetables you should be steaming them or baking them you don't have to fry them in grease and if you've got say uh a recipe that says saute your mushrooms and onions or something like that in oil. You could saute them in vegetable broth, you could saute them in wine, you can even saute them on a dry pan, it's amazing. Um, if you're adding a little oil, just do a little whiff of Pam or something like that, but nothing, nothing much. Now, let's say you are a healthy person who's skinny and you don't have diabetes. For you, I wouldn't be adding oils, but the fattier foods like avocado or walnuts or almonds, are things that, that you can have in your diet, and they give you that the slightly fattier taste that you might like. Um, but if a person's got a lot of weight to lose, I take those out too.
3: And yeah, and I'll go back to if you're sitting here because I am the chef on the show. If yes. you go back to <laughs> what you're saying about cooking with broth or alcohol, yes, absolutely. There are three flavor conductors out there that will bring out the flavor in the food that you're cooking. They are water, fat, and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so using either of any of those things is going to always increase the flavor of your food, but you can saute in alcohol or in broth. I highly recommend either of them. I really like cooking with alcohol.
2: I should also mention, you know, for people who are concerned about it as it heats up, the alcohol actually boils off. So it's not, it's not as if you're going to get high from what you've made, but you will have some residual flavor. Yes. Yeah. You, well, you'll get residual flavor. Yeah. Oh, that's, sure. too,
3: that's too bad. But it leaves a lot of flavor. Yeah. Tequila, vodka, and beer and wine are probably my four favorite to cook with. And what about
0: salt?
2: All salts, if they're overused, will raise blood pressure. So it's good to keep salt within bounds. But that said, they don't have to, and they shouldn't, avoid salt completely. Your body actually has a, a need for sodium and... For people who are in the process of making a dietary transition, if they're going vegan and at the same time starting a low-salt diet, they sometimes get uh, troubled because they can't really taste food anymore. They need a little bit of saltiness in it. And so I would say go ahead and salt your food. You don't have to salt it when you're preparing it, but at the table, you can put some on it, and then it'll it'll just have a little bit of salt on the surface that will make it taste good and taste normal for you. Later on, you can let the amount of salt that you're using drift downward if you want to.
0: Well, these have been some really, really helpful tips for anyone listening and for even Leslie and myself, because I'm always learning, even though we're already vegan. But what about people who want to start now or are leaning towards plant-based diets? What do you have for them?
2: Oh, can I brag about a new book that I'm releasing?
0: I I was hoping you would.
2: Oh, well, thank you. I have a new book. It's called The Vegan Starter Kit. And the reason I called it that is I wanted something that you didn't have to spend weeks and weeks reading. I wanted something that you could read in maybe an hour. Very, very, very short, very easy. kind of thing you could give to a family member who's kind of teetering on the edge, but they don't want to have a big brick that they've got to carry with them. You know, just something that will entice them, that has a nice, pretty cover. It's non-threatening and that has just enough tips for eating out at restaurants or what, what you do on a plane or some recipes that you can make in your kitchen that answers the questions that you get, like where do you get your protein? What, where do you get calcium? Are there supplements I need? And it makes it so easy and approachable and exciting because a person can think, you know, I, I want to reverse my diabetes, but if it's really hard, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the idea is of the Vegan Starter Kit is it's easy. Here's how you start. Um, this is your simple owner's manual. And in an hour, you're going to know exactly what to do. So anyway, I'm hoping that people get it not for themselves, but they think of three or four or five people in their family or friends or somebody who needs this. Pick it up. With Amazon, you can actually send it to their address or you can send it to yourself and just give it to them. So it's a skinny little cheekbook book that I'm hoping people will use as an invitation to their friends to join them in a healthy diet.
0: Yes, and you generously sent me a copy, and I absolutely love it. I actually wish that it had existed when I was transitioning, because all I had was Skinny Bitch, and those girls are just yelling at me like I'm terrible. <laughs>
2: yeah. Good, They're good, too. They got a lot of people's attention. This one's a little bit simpler. This is just how to go from A to B.
0: Dr. Barnard, thank you for being with us. Tell everyone where they can find you online and get that vegan starter kit pre-ordered today.
2: Oh, well, thank you. Well, you'll find that on Amazon. It's the vegan starter kit uh, uh, and... Our regular website here is PCRM.org that stands for the stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine PCRM.org. And of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else
0: Perfect. All right, Food Heals Nation, I'm here hanging out with Tina Anderson, the founder of Just Thrive, which is probiotics, but also so much more. So Tina, can you tell us what is a spore-based probiotic and why is it different from other probiotics out there on the market?
4: Yeah, that's a great question, Allison. Um, A spore-based probiotic is a completely different category of probiotics. So the majority of probiotics on the market are comprised of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. Ours are not. And we did that very intentionally because we know that those strains are sensitive organisms. They have difficulty getting to the intestines alive. Spore-based probiotics have this endospore shell around itself. And that spore shell allows it to get to the intestines alive. It's really important to remember that a probiotic, in order to be defined as a probiotic, needs to arrive alive in the intestines. It doesn't need to be alive in the refrigerator. It needs to be alive in the intestines. So a spore-based probiotic actually has this shell around itself. And when it has the shell around itself, it's dormant and it allows you to swallow it. It gets, you know, it's able to handle the temperature, your body temperature, which is very warm, 98.6. It's able to get through the stomach acid, which is very acidic, very harsh, meant to be the heart gastric barrier and get to the intestines. And where once they get to the intestines, it takes their shell, its shell off. And it goes into its live vegetative cell state when it gets to the intestines. So these are natural probiotics. These are the same type of strains that our ancestors, when they ate off the land, they roots and tubers off the land, they uh, consumed these probiotic strains. Um, so it's just unfortunately we don't find them in our environment today. So it's a very different approach than the majority of probiotics. One of the biggest you know issues is survivability. The ma- vast majority of probiotics just simply do not survive that journey to the intestines. And most of them are basically dead bacteria therapy where spore-based probiotics get there 100% alive, where they're staying there for about 21 to 28 days and making a true change in the microbial environment. In fact, one of the studies that we did uh, right away was showing that just after about two weeks, uh, we saw a 30% favorable shift in the microbiome. In the strains in the gut, so um, that's a pretty profound shift in just 30 days. So, and and that's the resu- reason we see such profound, you know, results with people who start on the product. So it's really exciting, and the, it's definitely the the new category of probiotics out there. Even though it's where you know our ancestors were consuming these strains on a daily basis.
0: Wow, we're always going back to basics, right? But we've yep. made it overcomplicated. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much for breaking that down for us, Tina. I really appreciate it. So Food Heals Nation, stop throwing away money on probiotics that are going to die before they hit your gut and heal yourself, boost your immunity with Just Thrive Probiotics. Go to justthrivehealth.com. Use the coupon code Heals 15 You'll get 15% off your order. Tina, thanks again so much for clarifying
4: that. Oh, you bet. Thank you so much, Elson.
0: Well, we're very excited about your book and you guys have both overcome so much and I love what you're sharing with the world and Forks Over Knives, one of my favorite films. So take us back. How did you get started on this journey to health?
1: So I was originally diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes when I was 22. I was like, a, I was a senior in college just trying to finish up, move on with my life and all of a sudden I get diagnosed with not, not just one but three autoimmune conditions. So the first one was Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Then the second one is alopecia universalis, which is just a super nerd way of saying, you know, Cyrus lo- loses his hair. So I have no, I have no hair. I have no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no ear hair, none of that. And then uh, the third autoimmune condition was type one diabetes. So all three of those set in within a six month period, and I got. And
0: you're so young.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine going from just being a happy go luck kid that you know is quote-unquote healthy to all of a sudden now having three autoimmune conditions.
0: Oh my god, I can't imagine.
1: So that happened, and then um, within, you know, the first year, I basically tried to eat a plant-based diet. Uh, I'm sorry, I tried to eat a low-carbohydrate diet because that's what my doctors had told me to do, um, and they were saying, you know, limit your carbohydrate intake because if you do, then that will allow you to control your blood glucose with precision. So um, I tried doing that for a year, and it just did not work. I mean, I was I was really trying. And my blood glucose was all over the place. It was, it was, uh, you know, kind of a nightmare. What were you eating at that time? So at that time, I was trying to eat. I was trying to minimize my intake of, of fruits and potatoes and, you know, pastas and breads and cereals. And I was trying to eat more eggs, more fish, more uh, lean meat. Um, you know, black forest ham sandwiches, uh, turkey burgers. And you know peanut butter, so like higher fat, higher protein foods that were like both animal-based as well as plant-based. And um, you know it was supposed to make my blood glucose controllable, but it didn't. So two things happened. Uh, number one, my glucose was a roller coaster. Number two, my insulin requirements were actually going up over time. They started at mid twenties, and then mid thirties, and before I knew it, mid forties per day. And and that's a lot of insulin, you know, for somebody of my height and weight. So then I decided, you know, it's time to you know, it's time to start looking for a new way of doing things. So I switched over to a plant-based diet under the guidance of a of a, a guy named Dr. Doug Graham who went on to write a book called The 80-10-10 Diet. Uh, and he basically taught me how to eat a diet that was, uh, you know, purely, literally 100% fruits and vegetables. So we just started there. And I was nervous that my blood glucose was going to go through the roof because, you know, Man with type 1 diabetes starts to eat a significant amount of carbohydrate. What everybody was telling me was that my insulin use was going to go up simply because the total amount of carbohydrate in my food was going up. So I was expecting that. And then I started eating a lot of fruits and a lot of vegetables. And uh, my carbohydrate intake, you know, six folded. It went from like 100 grams a day all the way upwards of 600 grams a day. And my insulin use actually came down by 40% within the first week. 40%. So I was eating six times the number of carbohydrate grams per day for 40% less insulin. And that was the first time that this light bulb went off in my head that said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something fascinating is happening right here. And I don't have the tools to explain it. So I went back to school. I studied towards a PhD in nutritional biochemistry so that I could talk science and really understand what was happening. And in that process, I, I uncovered that, you know, Diabetes is something that the, the nutrition world and the research world has a lot of information, like too much information about. And for the past 100 years, there have been a whole bunch of research experiments and published papers that go into detail about how to create diabetes and how to reverse diabetes. And what I had experienced by transitioning to a plant-based diet and seeing tremendous improvements in my blood glucose and decreased insulin use, had actually been documented as far back as the 1920s. I kid you not, literally 100 years ago. And so this is fascinating to me. And so I kind of like read through all that research and tried to, you know, think of a way where I can translate that for regular people to help them transition to a plant-based diet as well.
0: So this literally changed the course of your life and what you would end up doing with your life. So how, why aren't people talking? Why weren't people talking about it?
1: Uh, I think. Why weren't people talking about it? I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, nutrition research is, like, not that easy to read, and it's not that easy to understand. The general public doesn't really have, you know, has access to the medical literature, but, like, your average person isn't going to PubMed to read articles about diabetes and diet. You know, they're just not doing that.
0: No, we go to Google and we get a bunch of misinformation. That's exactly right. So
1: whatever is popular in Google and whatever is popular in you know the magazine that's being displayed to you at the grocery store, that's what people are going to do. And whatever these catch terms are and whatever these videos that go viral are, like that's the stuff that's popular. And the stuff that's popular is you know teaching people how to eat a ketogenic diet. That's popular. Uh, you know teaching people how to eat a low carbohydrate diet. That's popular. And so that's what people do, which is, I kid you not, literally the exact opposite of what the research world knows to be um, the most effective treatment and reversal for diabetes. But yet, you know, that's the truth. And that's what, that's the world in which we live today.
0: I mean, it's so true. And I'm so glad that you're busting these keto myths right now. Thank you. Ravi, can you take us through your story a little bit? How did you, how did your journey start?
5: Yeah. So I have two older brothers. And my middle older brother was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes nine years prior to me. So I was quite familiar with type 1. I knew what the symptoms were. And I was in middle school. I was crazy thirsty, going to the bathroom all the time. And I said, Mom, I think I have diabetes just like Steve. And she said, no, no, don't be silly. You don't have diabetes. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> and like a week goes by. <laughs> And my mom and dad are in Florida looking for homes because we were gonna eventually move to Florida. And she calls to check in and she says, hey, how's everything going at home? I said, mom, I couldn't sleep last night, I was cramping. She said, okay, go upstairs and test yourself with your brother's meter. And I did, and I was well over 400. You're supposed to be between 80 and 130. And my brother said right there, you have type one diabetes, pack your bag, you're gonna be in the hospital for a few nights. So, my parents flew back the next night, and that was the beginning of life with type 1 diabetes. So, just in case the audience doesn't fully know, I mean, type 1 diabetes is when your pancreas is not producing sufficient quantities of insulin. So, um, we have to inject insulin to manage our blood glucose levels. Pre diabetes type 2, that's when you're actually producing excess insulin. So, I'm sure we'll get into more detail about that later, but um, that was the beginning of life with type one and i lived in Minnesota. So we went to the Mayo Clinic to get the best care possible. So I have an endocrinologist, I have a dietitian, I have a, um, a therapist, um, all trying to give us the best care. And in hindsight, it's really sad that they're not talking about plant-based nutrition. And really what's going on is they just wanted me to feel normal. So said, okay, you know what? You're a teenager. We want you to be able to eat the foods that all your friends are eating. Just learn how to dose insulin and make sure that you're getting you know, your basic servings of fruits and vegetables. And I remember having canned mandarin oranges. That was my favorite fruit to have uh, each night with dinner. so I finished my you know, standard American dinner and my mom like, okay, time to have your, your fruit. Oh <laughs> my that God. Was great. So um, I tried many different diets. And I eventually came across a book in high school. I was at Barnes and Noble getting some spark notes and a book called to me. And it was called Kevin Trudeau's Natural Cures They Don't Want You to Know About. He had infomercials, he had his bright smiling face on the cover of the book. Um, We're not recommending this book. This guy was put in jail. There was fraud involved. (laughs) Very sad. But the book planted a seed in my mind. Yes. Yeah. And it did. This this book, it definitely changed the course of my life. So I, I do have to thank him for that. And the seed was that it's going to be possible. You know, I believe it, it's possible to reverse type one diabetes and get my body to produce new beta cells. That is the mindset. It seems very simple, but unfortunately it's in hindsight, it's not that simple, but it sent me down this path of like, you know what? I'm gonna do whatever it takes to put my body in a state where it can heal itself. I want to be healthy so self-healing can happen. Every night you go to bed, cells are dying, cells are getting regenerated, You know, stem cells are part of this process. It's like, let's just do anything and everything. So I ended up trying a bunch of different diets. I tried a Weston A. Price foundation diet. And at the time I was struggling with standard American issues. I had cystic acne which was really frustrating, I did everything. microdermal abrasion treatments, laser treatments, different creams, different pills. Eventually they put me on Accutane, which is the most serious drug you can take for acne. Your parents have to sign a waiver because some people have committed suicide with that drug. But I felt like I had no option at that point. I had plantar fasciitis as a competitive tennis player. That was frustrating, it's a painful condition in your feet. And I was wearing blue boots at night for some passive stretching. I had chronic allergies. I would take nasinex and claritin D and still get sick and warts on my feet. Just some typical issues that people have when following a standard American diet. So you
6: were a hot mess. Yes. There
5: Let's we see. go. A hot mess. I like that. That's accurate.
1: that is a great way to think about
5: it. <laughs> <laughs> <I've> never...
6: <laughs> well, my heart, my heart goes out to you. You're describing all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, poor guy. Yeah, hot I'm mess. Okay.
5: Good.
0: Please continue. So I'm in high
5: school and I'm living in uh, Sarasota Brainson area of Florida. And I'm doing this Weston A. Price Foundation. So this is grass-fed beef. You know, you're trying to eat clean breads like millet bread, stuff like that, um, and they advocate for raw milk. So I would go to the local farmers market and buy milk for cats because you can't sell raw milk to humans. But hey, had to do what you had to do to follow the protocol. I didn't see any change in my diabetes health at this point, so I keep on pursuing different diets, learning more and more. Eventually, I come across a Gabriel Cousins phase one diet at the time Ketogenic diets weren't popular, but this is basically a plant-based ketogenic diet. That's what I was doing And at this point, I'm a freshman at the University of Florida. I start following this ketogenic diet I'm eating lots of oils I'm eating lots of nuts and seeds and plenty of greens as well And at that point I had no energy I was on campus several times, like I blacked out and it was just scary. I'm like, I don't know what to do next. All my friends are eating whatever the heck they want at the cafeteria. I'm putting all this effort into this and I'm losing weight and I'm feeling terrible. So I go back to a naturopath that I saw and she said, okay, maybe you should do some chelation therapy. We'll try and you know, do some cleansing that way. I was like, okay, I'll consider it. But before I made that commitment, I would have had to drive from Gainesville to Tampa to do that. I heard a podcast with the same guy that changed Cyrus's life. His name is Doug Graham. And on this podcast, we're talking about eating fruits and vegetables and how that can also you know, help your body detoxify from heavy metals and stuff like that. I'm like, wait a minute. I've been avoiding fruit for all this time. I love fruit. He's saying I can get similar results. I have to give this thing a shot. So the, he was talking about his book that was coming out. This was in September of 2006. And that's when I started to st- making this transition to eat more fruit. The book comes out in december of 2006 and cyrus is one of the testimonials in the back of the book and i'm like wow this is this is interesting another type one who saw some amazing results and that just inspired me to keep going and i started a coaching program with him i emailed him every single day he emailed me back every single day for 90 days straight and i really learned how to do this low-fat you know plant-based whole food approach and i started eating crazy amounts of fruit and just like cyrus my insulin sensitivity improved dramatically. So I actually saw a a 900% change in my body's ability to uh, uptake glucose. So the amount of insulin I needed for the amount of glucose that was coming into my body from whole foods changed by 900%, dramatic change. And both Cyrus and I, we use a, a physiologically normal amount of insulin. So your guys' pancreas, you guys secrete somewhere between like 25 and 50 units of insulin per day. That's healthy. That's normal. Insulin is important and absolutely necessary. So when you're living with type 1 diabetes and your pancreas is not working, you want to inject what it would normally secrete when you were eating a healthy diet. And that's what we both do. And we eat large amounts of carbohydrate-rich food, which again, are completely demonized in in the world of diabetes health. So- We're getting the exact opposite result that people would expect. And again, just like Cyrus said, this has actually been documented in the research and just straight up buried for about a hundred years now. And we are quite passionate about getting this information out to people. So I started doing this and then I worked with Forks Over Knives for six years. I met Brian Wendell. He's the man behind Forks Over Knives at a health retreat and had a lot of fun working there and getting to meet a lot of cool people. And here we are now, Cyrus and I started mastering diabetes to really fulfill a niche here. If you, if you want to follow a if you're living with any form of diabetes and you want to follow a plant-based diet, there really wasn't a, a go-to resource, and we've set out to create that with mastering diabetes with, with our website, um, with our social media, and uh, just really being a place where people can really understand that we know what they're going through, and we know exactly how to help them. so that's what we do.
6: I love that you guys are doing this. And I almost think Ali and I both believe your body can heal if you give it what it needs. And it's often that kind of tricky part of figuring out what it needs, especially when it was counterintuitive for you guys to be eating more carbohydrates when everyone was saying, no, 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 that's bad. But I always believe, I have a lot of people in my family with diabetes and they always, you know, that I can't have fruit, but then they, they throw on the Splenda. And I always thought fruit doesn't give you diabetes. Like I, don't, I just don't believe it. I love fruit. I would be a fructarian if I could. And I just love that this is part of your story that like you guys doubled up on the fruits and, and it reversed.
5: We absolutely both believe that type one diabetes has been a huge blessing in disguise. It's definitely given us a clear path on what we can do with our careers and then how to help other people. And just like you're saying here, you're talking about food healing and really the whole premise of what we're doing here is talking about maximizing insulin sensitivity and that has a huge impact on people living with all forms of diabetes.
0: So, I'm so excited about your book. So, you guys came together to write this book. What what is your advice for someone who is recently diagnosed with di- diabetes and autoimmune because both of you had more going on than just diabetes. So, it's like this book is for more, you know, more people, am I right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, so we teach people primarily living with all forms of diabetes, how they can also transition to a plant-based diet to not only improve diabetes, but also improve their overall health. And the truth of it is that uh, you can't really, what's considered, you know, you can't heal selectively. So it's not like if you eat a plant-based diet and get better insulin sensitivity and reduce your insulin requirements and increase your glucose tolerance, Chances are you're also gonna lose weight. Chances are you're also gonna drop your blood pressure. You're also probably gonna drop your cholesterol levels. And so there's, you know, a whole collection of ancillary benefits that come along for the ride. And so, truth be told, you know, this book is not just for people living with diabetes. We just happen to talk a lot of diabetes in the book, but the truth of the matter is, you know, it applies to anyone and everyone. And uh, it's a phenomenally powerful approach.
0: And like, what do you guys enjoy today that, you know, I feel like we're always told like, oh, this is kind of a death sentence, like you're on this pill, this drug for the rest of your life. You're going to feel bad for the rest of your life. You're going to have to take insulin for the rest of your life. What have you experienced? Like, how is your lifestyle? And what are you enjoying that you were told maybe you wouldn't?
1: It's a great question. I would say there's, you know, on one hand, I would say there's specific foods that I can now eat with confidence. And control my blood glucose with precision. So something like, you know, Hayden mangoes as an example. One of my favorite things in the world. Um, you know, I can eat those in large quantities, and it's they're incredibly sweet, super flavorful, and you know, I get phenomenal blood glucose control when I do. But then I think beyond just the specific types of foods that I can put into my mouth, it's more about, for me, it's about the confidence in knowing a couple of things. Uh, number 1 when you eat a sort of plant heavy diet or a plant focused diet i can go to sleep at night knowing that there literally is no healthier diet no healthier you know food pattern um, in existence today the scientific community is in a consensus at this point that a predominantly plant based diet or fully plant based diet is literally the most the healthiest diet ever discovered period end of story
0: and the most anti cancer as well
1: Exactly. So it's anti-cancer. It's anti-diabetes. It's uh, anti-cardiovascular disease. It's anti-fatty liver disease. It's anti-chronic kidney disease. And the list goes on. And so you know, just being able to go to sleep with that confidence, knowing that what I'm doing for myself is really, truly benefiting me from head to toe and there's literally nothing I can do about it, um, that right there is just like you can't put a price tag on that. You can't really like, you can't really, I can't, I don't know how to value that. But that peace of mind is something that is absolutely tremendous for me. And I I think about it literally every single day of my life.
5: Yeah, I would just add to that. I mean, the number one cause of death for people living with all forms of diabetes is heart disease. And I am very confident in saying that this approach, it makes the chances of us developing heart disease is extremely, extremely low. And Dr. Esselstyn likes to say heart attack proof, but um, you know. Just be more scientifically accurate, There's shows a chance of anything happening, but it's very, very slim and that feels pretty darn good.
6: Do we know why that is? Is that because something to do with the insulin has leads to inflammation of the arteries? Why would the number one cause of death for diabetics be heart disease?
1: Yeah, one of the the main reasons why the the number one cause of death is heart disease is because um, the thing that causes diabetes, okay? So let's back up here. Uh, there's, you know, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. That's what Robbie and I live with. There's also another autoimmune version called type 1.5 diabetes, which is what affects people who are older than 30 years old, who are also diagnosed with an autoimmune version of diabetes. So it's kind of like a, it's a slow progressing adult onset version of type 1 diabetes. But then you have pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, which are the, you know, they affect more than 90% of the diabetes population. And these are the two forms of diabetes that are really related to your lifestyle most strongly. And so the cause of pre-diabetes and type two diabetes is another thing. And that other thing is referred to as insulin resistance. So when you develop insulin resistance due to a diet that is either uh, high in fat, high in total fat, high in animal products or high in packaged and processed carbohydrate rich foods, you know, like cookies, crackers, chips, pastas, things like that. Um, then you develop a condition known as insulin resistance. And when insulin resistance uh, grows and that when it sort of takes over your liver and takes over your muscle and starts to become a problem, then every single tissue in your body uh, is is impacted by that. So insulin resistance, I like to think of it as sort of like a central node that then has you know many tentacles that then go and increases your risk for chronic disease as a whole. And Part of that, like one of the main things that it does is, it, is it, uh, it causes arterial inflammation. It can dramatically increase your cholesterol levels, dramatically increase your triglyceride levels. Uh, it can increase your risk for atherosclerosis or hardening of blood vessels. And all of that can contribute to the development of heart disease. And if that, if insulin resistance remains untreated over the course of time, um, or it gets exacerbated by eating a, you know, a ketogenic diet, as an example. Then um, heart disease becomes, you know, unfortunately extremely common.
0: All right, Food Heals Nation, I'm here with Mae Steigler, CEO of Organifi, who's passionate about redefining personal well-being, here to give us all the goods on where to get started when it comes to Organifi products, especially if we're new or just dipping our toes into wellness, into supplements. Mae, I would love to hear, where could someone just get started without feeling the overwhelm? (laughs) Yes, I love
7: this, and one of my favorite spots to begin is typically a product that focuses on a routine, um, kind of a more ritual focused product. So I really enjoy and would recommend starting with our green juice in the morning and gold at night. And this is kind of our AM PM kit, really importantly focused on hormone balancing, better energy, better sleep, being able to naturally detox during the day. And it's a great way to start uh, in the morning with our green juice that has 600 milligrams of ashwagandha, a really powerful adaptogen for detoxing and balancing stress levels in the body. So a really great way to begin your day. And you kind of balance that out and support sleep holistically in the evening with being able to take gold after dinner. Let's say it's our um, turmeric evening, like really nourishing evening tea that uh, really supports rest and relaxation. And so that combination is a really great place to start awesome starter kit and a great way to support hormone balancing and feeling the benefits of Adaptogens and superfoods in your diet.
0: Well, I can't live without those and I swear by falling asleep to my Organifi Gold. And you even have the chocolate gold. So don't get me started on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so tasty. So tasty. All right, Food Heals Nation. Well, go get your gold on, go get your greens on. Go to Organifyshop.com slash food heals and save twenty percent off your order. Thanks, May. Thank you. And I see on the website, there's a quote from Robbie that says, you know, when you eat like this, a plant-based whole food diet, you can increase that insulin sensitivity within days to weeks. So if someone is right now, you know, getting close to something where that they can't come back from, how quickly can changing their diet really have an effect on them and their their disease?
5: So this is where um, being people that are living with type 1 diabetes, we become these fascinating test subjects because we're injecting insulin and we know exactly how much insulin we're injecting. We count the amount of carbohydrate that we consume and we consistently manage our blood glucose levels. So some of us are wearing continuous glucose monitors where I get a new reading on my phone every five minutes, tells me what my blood glucose levels um, are at. So these three pieces of data are absolutely fascinating and can allow us to easily measure objectively, our insulin sensitivity on a meal by meal basis. When you guys eat a meal, you don't know how much insulin your pancreas is producing. You know, you could test your blood glucose, you could, um, you could measure the carbohydrate content, but you just don't know what's being produced. We know I through C-peptide testing that we're producing none. And so whatever I'm injecting, that's all that's working. And so we have seen just an amazing turnaround in our own lives. So people following a low carbohydrate diet, there's published research where they'll eat 30 grams of carbohydrate per day and inject about an average of 30 units per day. So let's say one to one 24 hour insulin sensitivity, uh, carbohydrate to insulin ratio. Now, Cyrus and I will eat over 700 grams of carbohydrate per day and inject roughly 27 units of insulin. So that is a dramatic increase in total carbohydrate intake and actually less total insulin, which is mind blowing for most people. So the result can happen pretty quickly. So for those living with type one, you know, we'll see results within, uh, you know, a matter of days. And then in about three months, there's about a 10 to 60% reduction in total insulin use, while increasing carbohydrate consumption. And those living with pre diabetes and type two diabetes, um, depending on how big of a hole they've really dug for themselves, is going to depend on how quickly they're going to respond. But it's really can happen in really a matter of weeks, where people will see they've increased their consumption of potatoes and rice and beans and fruit and lots of vegetables. And their fasting blood glucose is dropping. And they're actually needing to reduce their medication use. So it can happen quite quickly.
6: Do you know why? Is it because of you're not just eating carbs, but eating carbs with lots of fiber. Is it because you're getting antioxidants and minerals and nutrients?
5: Yes, yeah, so I want to tell you something. You're lucky that you have one of the most brilliant scientists on the phone call today. And Mr. Cyrus Kambada is going to answer that question for you.
6: <laughs> Yay. Cyrus?
5: <laughs> Maybe he's muted. My bad. My bad. I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> Die. I set up this delivery and then he just goes <laughs> silent. Whoops. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> about that. has never happened before.
6: <laughs> My question has stunned him into silence. It's okay.
1: Well, I was trying to be all polite here by putting myself on mute and then I didn't realize I, I was still on mute. <laughs>
6: <laughs> take, take two. Cyrus?
1: <laughs> okay. So this is actually one of the most uh, important questions that you could possibly ask because... This is the question that we get asked the most, and it's also the question that most that confuses most people. And the truth is that when, okay, let's go back to the very beginning and try and figure out what insulin resistance really is. Um, uh, what happens is that when you eat a diet that's that's generally high in fat, whether that fat comes from avocados and nuts and seeds and olive oil, or whether that fat comes from chicken and red meat, white meat, fish, and uh, dairy products. Um, when you consume a significant amount of fat in your diet, that those fatty acids they come into your mouth, they end up traveling down your esophagus into your small intestine, and then they get absorbed into your blood. When they're in your blood, they basically are in circulation in these these molecules or these particles known as chylomicrons. Okay, don't remember that. These chylomicrons then distribute fatty acids to your fat tissue, your adipose tissue, and then also distributes to your muscle and liver. Now. A simple way to think about this is that if those fatty acids ended up only inside of your fat tissue, then diabetes may not exist as a condition. The problem occurs when fatty acids go into your adipose tissue where they belong, but then there's a spillover and and fatty acids end up going into your muscle and into your liver. Now, the the thing is, is that your muscle and liver do have a capacity to be able to store small amounts of... Uh, fatty acids when they are present in your diet. However, what happens is that when people eat a low carbohydrate or, or high fat diet, over the course of time, they're eating a significant amount of fat for breakfast and lunch and dinner and breakfast and lunch and dinner and over and over and over. And Within a short period of time, your muscles and liver become overwhelmed and they end up accumulating too much fatty acids and, and the lipid droplet inside of each of these cells in your muscle and liver begins growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. So at this point, cells in your liver and muscle, they say, okay, hold on a second. There's, there's a problem because we're, we're accumulating too much fatty acids. How do we block this stuff from coming in? So ideally what they would do is they, in order to block fatty acids, they would, they would just mount a defense against these block fatty acids and say, Hey, listen, stop coming in. We're, we don't want you anymore. The problem is that the cellular mechanisms to block fatty acids from coming into the tissue are, are pretty weak. And so as a result of that, uh, these two tissues don't have an ability to necessarily block fatty acids directly, but what they can do is they can block insulin from communicating with the, the cell very well. And the reason they would want to do that is because if they can tell insulin to go away, then they can block another fuel, another energy source, which is glucose, from coming inside of the tissue. So that's what they do is they basically mount this this response called insulin resistance where they become resistant to, insulin so the next time you eat a banana or a bowl of quinoa or some wild rice or you know some squash the the glucose molecules that come from those carbohydrate chains end up coming to your liver and muscle and insulin knocks on the door goes hey knock knock do you want this glucose i got some available for you and the tissues respond by saying no 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 i have all this this fatty acid that has accumulated over the course of time i have to get rid of this stuff first so as a result of that, I'm going to be resistant to you, insulin. I'm not going to pay attention to you. And as a result of that, glucose ends up getting trapped and it pools and it gets – the concentration increases in your blood. So what what your typical sort of low-carbohydrate you know, ketogenic eater will experience is that they'll eat a low-carbohydrate diet. And then the minute they go and eat something that's carbohydrate-rich, even if it's from the whole food world, they'll eat a potato – or um, you know some corn. And all of a sudden, within an hour, their blood glucose is very high. And what they do, the normal response is, they point a finger at the potato or they point a finger at the banana, and they're like, hey, right. look, see? Carbohydrates are bad for me. Every time I eat a carbohydrate, my blood glucose goes up. Therefore, I can't eat potatoes. I can't eat corn. I can't eat quinoa. It doesn't work. And they make this assumption that it's the carbohydrate-rich food that caused the problem, when in reality, the thing that caused the problem was everything they ate before that carbohydrate-rich food that caused a traffic jam that prevented the glucose from being able to be transported inside of the tissue. Just making sense.
0: Yes, this is why no one understands it, by the way.
1: <laughs> this is why no one understands it, yeah. It's, it's sufficiently complicated enough that it requires you know a little bit of storytelling.
0: <laughs> it's like being
6: blocked at the door by a bouncer at a club,
1: Do, that I is, it. That is literally my favorite analogy of all time. That's exactly right. <laughs>
6: You're welcome to
1: use it. (laughs) Yes. Maybe I should just use that from now on. But the idea (laughs) is that there's a traffic jam, right? It's like the fatty acids cause the traffic jam, and then the glucose is just the innocent bystander that just is like, you know, it can't go anywhere. And as a result of that, your glucose goes high, and insulin, funny enough, also goes high. So classical diabetes or classical pre-diabetes is you go to the doctor, and you get your blood tested, and they're like, huh, your glucose is elevated, but your insulin is also elevated. And the reason that it happens is because both insulin and glucose are trapped inside of your blood because your muscle and liver are mounting a a defense against it and preventing it from coming inside.
5: The bouncer is keeping the schmucks out of the the, uh, the bar. (laughs) Exactly right. Anti schmuck.
0: I love how you broke that down because I feel like this is going to actually make sense for people, and they can now take this knowledge and be empowered when they go to their doctors and when they create their their the the correct diet for themselves. Moving forward, they'll understand why it works and not be confused with all of the garbage when you you know put this information into Google and try to figure it out yourself. You know, so let's talk. Absolutely. About, yeah, let's talk about the diet itself because, like, okay. For example, I'm vegan. I'm plant-based. I I prefer to call myself plant-powered because when I say vegan, like vegans can eat Oreos. But this is really about low-fat, plant-based, whole food nutrition, right? Like carbohydrate-rich fruits and vegetables, like you said. So Tell us about what are people on this on this lifestyle eating every day? What are some of the meals?
5: Okay, so we've made this very simple. I'll tell you the traffic light food system, and then we'll go over some of the meals and how people can sort of construct uh, things that actually taste delicious. So to understand what foods to eat, we have a green light, yellow light, and red light system. Foods in the green light category These are foods to eat when you're hungry until you're satisfied. You don't need to count your calories and think about how much you're consuming because they're naturally limiting in how much you're gonna eat. These are fruits. So that's bananas, papayas, mangoes, peaches, cherries, you name it, whole fruits. Then starchy vegetables. That's potatoes, yams, butternut squash. Then you have beans, peas, and lentils and then you have um, intact whole grains intact being the key word so that's farro that's millet that would be some quinoa would fit in that category those are the first four groups in the green light category because they're all calorie providing and they're more calorie dense so a lot of people will transition to a plant-based diet they'll start eating a lot of vegetables a lot of carrots a lot of beets a lot of greens and they'll be hungry an hour, two hours after a meal, they'll end up reaching for foods they ate previously, and all of a sudden they feel better and they say, you know what, the plant-based diet failed me. And that's because they didn't learn how to eat foods that actually satisfied them. And a lot of people come into it being afraid of carbohydrate-rich foods. So we list those foods first intentionally because we wanna teach people, you have to build your diet around more calorie-dense green light foods. And then the rest of the category includes foods that are really just common sense, everybody agrees on. So that's leafy greens, non-starchy vegetables, herbs and spices, and mushrooms. That's all in the green light category. Then the yellow light category, these are foods that are either high in fat or they're a little bit more processed. And we're not telling people to avoid them or not eat them at all. We're just saying, be careful about how much you consume. So this includes avocados, nuts and seeds, olives, Soy products and coconut meat; those will be all whole um, plant foods that are just higher in fat. So even soy products, edamame is the most whole intact form you can possibly eat of soy, but it's forty percent of calories coming from fat, and that's easily going to cause the problem that Cyrus just described, even though it's a plant-based food. So you got to be careful with those. And then we have foods like bread, you know, Ezekiel bread or maybe a really clean millet bread. These are good, they can certainly be part of a healthy program, but they're just more processed, they're more calorie dense, and it's gonna be better to eat the whole intact form, which would be just eating millet, something like that. Same thing when it comes to pastas, brown rice pasta, You know, there's bean pastas these days, all kinds of pasta varieties, they're great. The calorie density is not as much of an issue because when you cook them, it absorbs water content. But again, the processing, you lose a little bit of the nutrition value, it's better to just have brown rice. So that's the yellow light category and then in the red light category we have animal products this is red meat white meat fish have eggs in there dairy products we also have processed food in this category so that could be things like you know processed soy ice cream stuff like that you know again it's some of these they're vegan they're better for the environment better for animal welfare but when it comes to maximizing your nutrient density and getting in whole foods that are full of water and fiber and have a you know healthier calorie density, those foods are not going to meet those requirements. So that's why we put them in the red light category. Now, constructing meals, you just you take those green light foods and you can make a ridiculous amount of stuff from those. I mean, whether you're talking about pizzas, you're talking about um, you know burritos, um, soups, stews. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But we actually We eat pretty simply. And one of the favorite things that, you know, our clients do we do ourselves is we just make bowls. You just take the individual ingredients, you put them together, you throw some spices on there, and you have a delicious meal, whether that's some beans and some rice and some greens and using a lot of convenience foods. Like we're really passionate about making this realistic and doable, and there are a lot of really great products that just come in a bag you know pre-packaged like pre-cooked farro and then you have some carrots and some broccoli and a little bit of chickpeas that comes in a bag and then you just mix it with some sauce that's already pre-made you put some spices on top and boom you have a meal so it's really it's a simple approach it's it is very high in carbohydrate low in fat in order to help people maximize their insulin sensitivity.
0: I feel like bowls are my life. Like in the winter, it's like I have a, I do a lot of warm bowls where I'm just throwing whatever vegetables and rice or quinoa I have together with some sauce. And then in the summer, it's like raw bowls. So I, I'm with you. I think I might be following this by accident already. So I'm excited about that.
1: Isn't it? That's classic. I like it. <laughs> One thing I want to add is that, is that it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, I think a lot of people are intimidated by a plant-based diet when they first hear about it cuz oh my god I got to go shit I got to go get all these kitchen blenders and spiralizers and and you can easily sort of psych yourself out of the process but in reality you know the sim- just eating simply is very simple to do and it's very effective and you know if you just kind of keep it simple and just put a couple of things into a bowl and make it taste good then you know it can be that simple
0: Yeah. And you can do it at restaurants too. Like there's so many times where like I'm at a business meeting at a steakhouse and I can't eat anything, but I can make, I'll ask the chef to put together just like all of the sides, all the side vegetables. And it's basically a plate of of vegetables, you know, and it's it's that's how I live my life. And so I'm glad that I'm already doing this. So I'm preventing having diabetes
5: myself. <laughs> <That's so weird. laughs> we literally wrote that in the book that steakhouses are one of the best places to eat if you want to follow a really healthy, um, you know, clean diet here.
0: I have a big plant based circle. But when I eat with my non plant based fam- friends are like, Oh, we have to find somewhere Allie can eat. And they're all worried and nervous. I'm like, I can basically eat anywhere. So don't even worry about it. You know, totally true. Okay. So you also have step two, um, after the low fat plant-based whole food nutrition is intermittent fasting, which I love. I'm such a fan of fasting. It's one of my favorite things to do. I have more energy. I'm fasting right now. You guys, I have not eaten today. I've just had my, I have my, um, green juice, uh, shake that doesn't break the fast by Dr. Cabral. So other than that, I have not eaten today and I look forward to eating my plant-based late uh, lunch, early dinner. So tell me about your stance on intermittent fasting.
1: We are huge fans of intermittent fasting. It's actually, we've put together what's called the Mastering Diabetes Method. And the Mastering Diabetes Method incorporates four th- components. So number one is low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. Uh, number two is uh, frequent movement. And we, we recommend people move their body for a minimum of 30 minutes per day, six days a week. Uh, the third component is intermittent fasting. And we teach people how to perform intermittent fasts, whether they wanna do it once per week for 24 hours, or whether they wanna do it 16 hours a day, every single day. Some people choose to do it 18 hours per day, but uh, intermittent fasting is the third component. And then the fourth component is uh, documentation. And we have a very specific system for documenting your blood glucose values, your insulin use, your medication use, and the foods that you're eating so that you can learn and start to recognize patterns in, and in what's the connection between the food that you're eating and the things that you're doing on a daily basis, and how you are feeling. And so when you put all four of these components into play, then you're sort of doing the method, and the method is extremely powerful. Now, intermittent fasting, you know, just like you're saying, I think a lot of people get intimidated by by the idea of performing intermittent fast because it's daunting. You know, it's like, oh my god, I can't eat food. Wait, what? how come I can't eat food I can't go 16 hours I can't go 24 hours without eating food but you tell us like how do you how did you get started in it and and what allows you to be able to do it and do it frequently
0: for me? Yeah. Um, I think I first I got into juice fasting. And so that was I was constantly putting nutrition in with juice and not eating. And so it was giving my body a break from digestion. And people don't realize how much energy the body takes to digest food. And so when we're eating large meals or eating frequently or eating snacking all day, our body is constantly putting energy towards digestion rather than healing or giving us energy for the next you know, step in our day, the next task we need to do, whether it's work or movement or exercise or, you know. Your job. And so when I discovered intermittent fasting was a thing, I had gone from a doctor who had said, You have low blood sugar, you need to eat healthy snacks all day long. And guess what? I was not feeling better. I was feeling worse. And I think for me, and I can only speak for myself because I think intermittent fasting works well for a lot of people, and some people don't do as well on it. But for me, I was like, Oh, if I don't have to eat and think about food for long periods of time, just like when I was juicing, I get to focus on all the other things that I want to get done in my day or that I want to enjoy. And so so, it really for me made decision fatigue going away, thinking, what healthy thing do I have to stuff in my mouth right now to get onto my next thing? And then also, like the mental clarity that came with juice fasting, I also experience with intermittent fasting. So, the longer I go without food and I'm able to focus on all the other things, whether it's working out, whether it's getting the work done that I want to do, whether it's a creative endeavor that I want to experience, experiment with that day, I feel this mental clarity. And I also feel higher energy when I don't eat for longer. Periods of time. Um, And I do have greens that I take throughout the day to make sure that I am getting nutrition during that time. So for me, it's been life changing. But I know for others, they haven't liked it so much. So I can't speak for everyone.
1: For sure. For sure. I I do hear that a lot from people where they say, you know, the thought of doing an intermittent fast was intimidating. But then once I got into it, once I did it two, three, four, or five times, I actually realized that I was just telling myself a story in my head. And, you know, not only does it just become easier mentally and physically, but the results are astounding. Uh, You know, there's plenty of evidence-based research to demonstrate just how powerful intermittent fasting is at, you know, helping you lose weight, helping you normalize your blood glucose values, helping you lose or reduce your cholesterol values, dropping your blood pressure. I mean, the list goes on. And I think once people just kind of, like, develop the habit – then it just becomes a normal part of life. And it's really not a big deal at all.
6: Do you think there might also be like a phase of acclimation or time period of acclimation? Because I, you know, I think the first fast I ever did was the the master cleanse, right? And I got so hangry on it that I didn't last a day. Over time, I've done, um, just like Ali, slowly over time, like I've done more juice fasts where my body sort of acclimated and I still was hungry, but I could deal with it and I could put it off. And it wasn't, it wasn't such an extreme Do you think that that could possibly be true?
1: For sure. You know, I studied intermittent fasting while I was in uh, grad school. And um, I remember at that time I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is cool. There's a lot of powerful benefits here. But I just don't think that it's going to catch on. I mean, you know, you're telling people to eat less food. And that's kind of not what what people want to hear.
0: It's not the American way. It's not the American way.
1: Exactly. That's just downright un-American. And it turns out that I was totally, totally wrong. And uh, it's just it's just amazing to me how much it's caught on. And uh, how powerful it really is, and and it seems to be a cornerstone of of many nutritional philosophies, regardless of what type of food um, you know a particular person eats. So like whether you're eating a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting, whether you're eating a low carbohydrate diet, a high carbohydrate diet, a plant based diet, it doesn't really matter. Intermittent fasting is something that's central, that kind of like. Um, is present amongst many different types of diets, and um, I'm very glad to see that.
0: One of the biggest benefits I've seen for myself is really getting in touch with my body and understanding my hunger cues because hunger cues are different, whether I'm ready to eat because it's an emotional cue, because I'm like, oh, this has been a hard day and I need to reward myself versus actual hunger pangs, which feel very different from, oh, I could tear up a pizza right now. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And so it's like with the intermittent fasting, I realized that when I was getting super stressed out, I was like walking to the fridge and you're like, do I really need to eat right now or am I just trying to avoid a feeling or a stressor that I don't want to think about? So when that was like life-changing for me because I was like, oh, I didn't realize how much I was depending on food to avoid something I didn't want to deal with. And so once I decided, okay, instead, why don't you try taking a walk or doing something enjoyable or dealing with the effing feeling or emotion that you don't want to deal with yourself, then you realize you weren't actually hungry. It wasn't a craving. It wasn't an actual food craving. Your body wasn't saying, I need nutrition right now. Your body was saying, oh, let's avoid this thing. And so that was really, really life changing for me. So now when I intermittent fast, I know that if I have a hunger pang, I can pop one of my algae, I do my green algae, my spirulina and um uh, spirulina and uh chlorella. And that'll satisfy the hunger if it's a nutrition craving. And then if I really am hungry, then okay, I'm gonna list my body and go get some food. Um, but if I'm sitting at home all day, which I work from home, and I'm not being, I'm not out, out and about all day, I can li- survive on almost nothing and be more productive. And if I am out and about, let's say I'm at a conference or doing something more energetic, I don't do the intermittent fasting because I do feel I need the food for fuel. But I've discovered that for myself, you know. So it's like figure out what works for you. But I love that you've included it in as a component to your four step program. For
1: sure, for sure, it's it's a central component and. You're right. I think what you're, what you're explaining is very similar to what we explained, which is that there's a difference between, you know, physiological hunger, which is when tissues are actually asking for fuel versus psychological hunger, where you think you're hungry, uh, because it's 12 o'clock or because you smell the pizza, you know, they're two completely different types of hunger. And once you do intermittent fasting, then you can differentiate between the two of them for sure.
0: Absolutely. All right. So let's promote the book. Tell us what's in it. What can we learn? Where can we get it? All that good stuff.
5: Well, we are super excited about this book and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So it's basically broken down into three different sections. You're going to hear a lot of the details about our personal story. Then we're going to go deep into the science so people understand really what's going on. And then you have the how-to section, which is really a step-by-step manual of how to transition your diet, how to incorporate intermittent fasting, how to incorporate exercise, how to actually use these decision trees. So each section of the book sort of builds on itself and and, and works together. And we obviously standing on the shoulders of giants of many other great experts who have talked about this material, have published research on this material. And we went to the drawing board and said, what can we do to contribute? What can be new? to this movement. And uh, we're really happy to have put that together. Uh, there's a lot of new information here. There's over 800 citations. So we dug really deep into the science and also made it very easy to understand. And we also put together meal plans. So there's 30 new recipes in this book. And you take a quiz to figure out how insulin resistant are you, and then decide what meal plan to start with. So we want people to not only get you know the great long-term result here, but As you're transitioning you want to avoid you know excess high blood glucose readings you just want to avoid that and you can manipulate that you can control that based on eating certain meals and that's what we have put into this book and um, there's also a lot of testimonials interspersed so no matter what form of diabetes you're living with you're going to find somebody that you can relate to that's really been through a similar journey and um, people can buy the book anywhere books are sold so obviously amazon Barnes and Noble, you can get it at Target, you can get it at Walmart. We both read the audiobook and we added in some of our own little extras to the audiobook. so that's going to be on Audible. and you can grab that. you can get it on Kindle, um, Apple Book if I could say that already. It's everywhere. and it's uh, also available for international uh, listeners. So there's a website called Book Depository. And they actually sell the book at a discount. It's still 10% off the cover price and they give you free worldwide shipping. I do not know how they stay in business, but it does exist. So you can get the book no matter where you live in the world.
0: Amazing. I love it when authors read the book themselves on Audible because then it's like it's like you're listening to a podcast because then they're like and I also want to add and then they like tell you a great story. Uh-huh. <laughs> the website is masteringdiabetes.org get it wherever books are sold. Thank you guys so much for being here. We really appreciate it. I've learned so much today honestly. this was
6: great guys.
1: Yeah, thank you guys so much for for hosting us here and you know for spreading the word. Um, you know, your podcast is called Food Heals and like I the, the that single idea that food is a substitute for pharmaceutical medication, that food is truly a medicine, is something that I I hope people really are starting to understand if they don't already fundamentally understand it. So you guys are doing a phenomenal job of getting the word out, and I truly appreciate uh, all the hard work that you guys put into spreading the word. Keep it up.
0: Thank you. Oh, thank you. Mic drop, everyone. So what do you say? Are you ready to get healthy AF in 2023 with me? Go to foodhealsnation.com transformation. That is where you can learn more about what we'll be doing for four weeks together, starting January 4th, 2023. Join me and other Food Heals Nation listeners, wellness warriors, experts, fun people, cool people, nice people uh, for a four-month adventure where we're going to get really, really well We're gonna get really, really healthy. Um, We're gonna take four specific steps to do so, and we're gonna do it together. We're gonna keep each other accountable, and then we're gonna do other things as well. Um, I'm really excited about it. So let me take you through the quick steps as a quick reminder. Uh, step one will be functional medicine testing. So you'll work with a functional medicine practitioner to determine your food allergies, your food sensitivities, and create the perfect diet supplementation plan for yourself and your body because your body is different from my body. So I can't tell you to go eat Kale and quinoa, if I don't know that you have an allergy to kale, right? So we're gonna find those things out and then create the perfect diet for you. And of course, I have recommendations and a discount code for who to work with. You can also use your own if you're currently working with somebody. But together, we will be accountable for the diet that we're creating for ourselves. Step number two is peptide therapy. Peptides are my new obsession. I'm reading everything I can get my hands on because I feel like they're changing my life and helping me go next level with my health. Um, weekly peptide therapy. It's regenerative medicine. It can reduce your cravings. It suppresses your appetite. It can help you achieve your goal weight. So you can have your energy back. You can have your life back. You can feel good in your skin. And as you know, I have now lost a lot of weight on it. So that's step two. Step three is we're gonna incorporate game-changing daily habits. And these are four things that'll become a part of your day. So moving your body, adding more plants to your plate, drinking more water and that is drinking half your body weight in water uh, in ounces of water per day and intermittent fasting so we're going to increase the time between dinner and breakfast that we don't eat and that allows our body to fully repair itself during that time and these simple four practices if you're not doing them already will have massive results in just a short amount of time you'll be amazed. Step four is the emotional component, the emotional healing. I'm going to help you change your relationship to food by identifying the underlying emotions that are holding you back from having the healthiest and happiest life and heal those for good right let's get rid of them let's stop the food addiction right let's stop the cravings this is really going to help with that so between the physical and the spiritual and the emotional and the mental we're going to do this together and it's not going to be hard because we're going to have each other and there's no crash dieting there's no overnight success these are small incremental changes that we're going to make along with the next level things that you're probably not doing yet and we're going to do them together for four months and have a complete wellness and weight loss transformation together. And that's over at foodhealsnation.com transformation. And if you have any questions about it, please feel free to DM me at allisonmelodytv on Instagram or at Nation on Instagram. Or you can email me at info at foodhealsnation.com, though I do get overwhelmed there sometimes. So DM is probably faster. And we can make sure it's right for you and make sure that you're going to get what you want out of it. Like I created this based on what people are telling me they're looking for and based on what I know works, right? So the combination of those two things means you can't lose. Like we won't lose because we're doing this together. And you could do this alone. Absolutely. Go for it. But the thing that you'll be missing is the accountability and someone holding your feet to the fire to say, hey, did you put plants on your plate today? And you're like, yes. And you'll go and do it because you know that you have to tell us that you did it. <laughs> right? And so it's just the accountability point. part of it is so amazing. Plus all the education from functional medicine practitioners. I've got experts coming in to talk about all kinds of things like intermittent fasting, like tapping, like saunas, like how to work out, how to create your own workouts, how to do the things that you want to be able to do on your own, but you're maybe not doing on your own. That's what we're going to go through and everything's going to be laid out for you. Super simple recipes if you need them. Your diet is going to be based on the functional medicine test that you get back. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your existing diet, you're going to add more plants to your plate, and then you're going to take out anything that you have food allergies to or food sensitivities to. And then we're going to add in more and more nutrition until your diet is totally optimized. But we'll do it slowly. If you're like, Ali, I eat um, sugar and dairy every day and I can't go cold turkey. No problem. You're not going cold turkey. We'll do it slowly but surely. But as you're doing the other things, it's going to cut the craving and make it easier because if you're doing drinking half your body weight in water and ounces per day, you're not going to eat as much. You're going to be full from the water and you're also going to pee a lot, but you're also going to be detoxing all the bad stuff, which is going to make you not want to have all the bad stuff right? If you're doing the peptides, you're going to have less hunger and less cravings, right? And so you're not going to be eating as big of portions. You can get away with some of the little, you know, let's say things that you want to have in moderation because you're eating smaller portions, right? So all this stuff, I will explain it to you. I'll be your accountability buddy for four months starting January 4th. I really hope to see you there. Food Heals Nation, again, it's all over at foodhealsnation.com transformation.